0: welcome to film school radio the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films every friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com i'm your host mike caspar what if one of the best days of your life suddenly turned into one of your worst nightmares And what if you were forced to relive that day over and over again? From director Craig Singer comes a pulse pounding, time looping, psychological thriller about a dream vacation gone very, very bad. I'm going to leave it there because we will get into the actual more of the storyline in the course of our conversation. I do want to, before we get started, talk about uh, terrific performances by the two leads, Michael Reed and Augie Duke, really propel this film along. And it is uh, it is one of those movies where you're going to wonder and you're going to try and think back in what you saw at the beginning. Is that how is that tying into what we're seeing now? There's a lot of things about this film to recommend. The film is called 645 and we're joined today by the director, producer and story by Craig Singer. Craig Singer, welcome to Film School Radio.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Uh, It is a uh, psychological thriller. It's a bit of a horror film. What else would you throw in the genre uh, washing machine of life uh, to describe the film?
1: I always think of 685 as a, as a romance, a love story where things go terribly wrong.
0: Well, there you go. That is absolutely true about the film. And in terms of how the project came to you, uh, you know, how did that sort of evolve as a project?
1: I was um, a creative VP at Walt Disney. And I've been kicking around the idea of a Groundhog Day type thriller for, for many, many years, well before it became fashionable. As you know, now it's almost like a cottage industry with time loop. But back then, when, when I kind of came up with the idea, it was really Groundhog Day and, and 645, I felt would be a really interesting spin on that. And, um, and then when I exited Disney, I wanted to make the film and, and was fortunate enough to find the team, the talent and the funding to, to put the pieces together.
0: And did they, uh, the writer of the film is uh, Robert Dean Klein. Was So he did he come to you? How does this work? Does he show up at your door and say, I've got a great script? Well, how do, how did that sort of play out? No, I actually
1: kind of had this story that I pitched to Robert. We'd been collaborating and, and writing partners on many, many projects for decades now. So he's more like family at this point. So I pitched him. He loved it. And he wrote an incredible script that went through many, many iterations. At one point, it was a much larger film in terms of, what happens in the script, but because of the budget, we were forced to kind of pair things back. And I think it benefited the film because we were forced to make it feel more intimate and and a little bit more claustrophobic without running the risk of it being too repetitive. That's the challenge when you're doing a, a time loop film is that it could be monotonous. And we wanted to be really mindful of the fact that we wanted the days to have their own DNA, so to speak, and to have their own vibe. And I think, I think we pulled it off. I think the, you know, the performances and the, the editing and the cinematography all lend themselves to make the film um, pace properly and, and to be very entertaining.
0: Bobby and Jules, they get on a ferry, they go over to this wonderful place that they're going to have kind of a romantic getaway. And as I said in the intro, there are things that happen just in that little part, in that beginning of the film that I think people should pay attention to. And it sets kind of a tone. It sets sort of a um, a what if situation in 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 terms of the story, what is going to happen, and it starts out, you know, uh, kind of a romantic, just as you said, a romantic kind of storyline, but nobody's in town, which is always. We're well,
1: you know, going. Because I wanted to, you know, it was interesting. I wanted them to get on a ferry because I wanted them to be disconnected from the mainland, so they they have less security and safety. So if you think of like Shutter Island, right? If you, if you get people, if, there's a town called Block Island, which is um, off the coast of Rhode Island, where it's a beautiful idyllic place to, you know, to take someone you love. And then things do tragically, <laughs> they, get, they go from bad to worse. So we wanted to get Bobby and Jules, uh, Michael and Augie on the island and then uh, let the fun begin.
0: This sort of reminds me a little bit of Shining. You have a lot of fun with the house.
1: We do, we do. The house is a central location. It's our hero location. We pretty much took over and shot every square inch of the the bed and breakfast. And uh, most of the locations are only within probably 30 miles of that house. But it was nice because we got to live there and work there and and become a a film family very much uh, in the vein of, you know, Coppola filmmaking in the late 60s, early 70s, where everybody leaves their ego at the front door and wears many, many hats. So it was a, it was a wonderfully rewarding experience in that regard.
0: You really utilize the house. You in fact, there's a couple of tracking shots inside the house that really, that's really what reminded me a lot of The Shining was that there's a, there's a particularly important part of the film where sure. you, where you track a lot around, around the, the house and sort of not knowing what's around the corner. That was always kind of the, you know, what's lurking where we're, wherever we're going. And so that that gave it that vibe. I mentioned uh, Michael Reed and Augie Duke. They're the the couple, Bobby and Jules. Their chemistry, a wonderful chemistry on screen. Uh, and I thought that they were just wonderful. Tell me a little bit about getting that, kind of that right mix of the people who are in the film. There are others as well, but these two. Yeah, are- I
1: met Augie years ago and we uh, decided we wanted a partner and make this film. And we went, there was a lot of, you know, producers who, who, a stab at getting this thing made and they couldn't get it done as you know it's extremely challenging to to get films funded and made but we we stuck with it and we we hung together and she introduced me ultimately to, to michael who as as most people know are a couple and i had as a filmmaker a little bit of trepidation about working with them because sometimes on-screen chemistry it doesn't translate to their off-screen chemistry and and also any other you know dynamic with them working together was. It was soon put to, to bed by the fact that they're just brilliant together and um, incredibly talented young actors who both have big careers ahead of them and it was just uh it was so much fun to work with them as well as the other actors we couldn't afford a casting director so we really had to pull in favors and work with people who I had relationships with and people who i had known and wanted to work with so um, i'd worked with thomas waits he um he directed my first off-Broadway drama called Paradiddle, and we became good friends. And um, most people know him from The Warriors and uh, The Thing with Kurt Russell. But people, a lot of people don't know he was co-starred opposite Al Pacino in American Buffalo. And so when you think about an actor like Al Pacino who could work with any actor on the planet, for him to choose Tom Waits, I think, says a lot about his talent. Um, Armin Garrow and I met at the Actor's Studio, and I approached him and said that I'd love to work with him. And, we developed a relationship. So it was it was co- cobbled together like that. and I'm, I'm very proud of the, the cast. And uh, not that I don't enjoy working with casting directors. I really do. It's, it was just a luxury we couldn't afford on this particular film. And it just happened to work out.
0: I want to remind our listeners that the film is called 645. And you can go to 645movie.com to find out more about the film uh, and also where it'll be screening, which I do want to talk about a little bit because this is a show about filmmakers. So uh, there's a reason why I call it Film School Radio. You have done something that uh, I rarely see in an independent film like yours. You're opening pretty wide, as they say in the business. Talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, it's a great story. I've had films theatrically released before, but nothing like this. My last two films were Lionsgate. I did a film called Dark Ride and a film called Perkins 14. And years ago, I did a film that played at Cannes and Tribeca called good night to die that was purchased by dej which was a division of blockbuster at the time and they did a huge blockbuster release but nothing like 645 and and the way that came about is a friend of mine named mike Rudnitsky has been in theatrical distribution for about 45 years with companies like mgm and we met for coffee and he he knew that i'd completed 645 and he asked me to see it and i said mike why don't you wait till you know we do a friends and family screening and he's like No, forget you i don't know if i can curse on your show but he was very abrupt and said, send me the link, send me the link. He was relentless. And and finally I gave in and I, I send Mike the link and he watched the film. And the next day he called me up and he said, Craig, this is a real quality film. And I, I said, thank you, Mike. That, that means a lot coming from you. This guy eats film. I mean, he's just an uh, incredible uh, cinephile. And I said, well, Mike, maybe you can help us with a, a small New York LA premiere. And he said, well, I think we can do a little bit better than that. And that's how it all started. He sent it to uh, folks he knew at Regal, they loved the film. And uh, they gave us a, an exclusive, and it's interesting, Regal, two things. Mike said, A, they don't do favors, so they have to really love the film in order to support the film. And B, he said that he had sent them a subsequent film after 6.45, and they called him back and they said, Mike, it ain't no 6.45. <laughs> so that made, that made me feel really good. But you're right, this is the exception. Um, films are becoming the domain of pole giant comic book movies. And and it's very hard for films like 645, almost impossible. Uh, So I feel like we've been invited to the World Series and we've got a little bat and our job is to try to make it a little bit bigger a bat.
0: So it's opening in how many theaters?
1: So I believe 75. They offered us about 500 and it it could scale up very quickly depending on how it does. So we're really in the hands of the the cinema gods. Uh, I'm very proud of the film. We won the Paris Independent Film Festival uh, Best Feature. And they did have a genre category. So that was a little bit of a shot in the arm and and we knew we had something special. And then uh, we've just been um, accepted into kind of a whole slew of other film festivals and uh, also just did our domestic deal with a company called Welgo. But the folks at Regal have just been tremendous. They they couldn't be more welcoming and they have an incredibly professional, talented team of, of people who have, you know, they've come up with sweepstakes and all sorts of goodies. They're doing a... A contest where a lucky winner can actually win a romantic getaway in the bed and breakfast from the movie, and also get the clock from six forty-five, the prop clock. So they're doing all sorts of fun things like that for their uh, loyalty rewards members. And um, we couldn't be more more privileged and honored to be a, a part of the Regal family at this point.
0: Well, Regal has quite a presence out here on the West Coast. Like certainly here, L.A. Orange County area, it's it's there's a lot of Regals, and they are, I think, the predominant chain um i'm i'm certain they are here it's at least in orange county so congratulations on that and the film itself is jarring and it's and it's it'll keep you on the edge of your seat and you really don't know what's going to happen next in watching it it, i I see this as the kind of movie that will really be a crowd pleaser for people who are going to the film for a thrill for something different who are looking for an interesting storyline Uh, And also um, the acting is terrific. I thought Michael Reed and uh, Augie Duke and the others that you mentioned, some of the others you mentioned are just terrific. Everyone kind of, you know, hits the mark. And uh,
1: yeah. it's Really an eclectic cast, Ray Boom Boom Mancini and his son, Leo, the detectives in the film and Sasha Gordon, Ali Marshall, Josh. I mean, 45 King, Remy Ma, just incredibly uh, blessed to have that cast. And, you know, it's funny you talk, these are, a lot of film students I assume are your audience and work with so many young people, young filmmakers without a lot of set experience, but if people have intelligence and enthusiasm. Sometimes that actually trumps experience. I'll say sometimes, not always, but it's sometimes you go with people who are enthusiastic because that's infectious and it brings energy to the set. And it certainly brings energy to myself. Um, I was one of the older people on set, but having these young enthusiastic filmmakers Uh, be a part of the film family was a direct benefit to the film. No question about that.
0: Well, as you mentioned that, I I would like to talk a little bit about the, 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 that crew. Um, Your cinematographer, uh, Lucas uh, Pitassi. 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 I thought it really had a great look and lighting wise. I just, there's a lot of the technical side of this, the lighting and the cinematography are are very important, to, especially in this kind of a film, very atmospheric kind of film. And I thought it looked great. i to talk a little bit about uh, working with Lucas. Uh,
1: Maria, my exec producer, introduced me to Patassi. He likes to be called Patassi, by the way, so don't don't call him Lucas. Uh, and he actually worked with Augie as well. We, we became fast friends. We studied films together. I would recommend films, and he would recommend it. And then we got together, and, and we certainly um, developed that, Sought after shorthand that that directors uh, enjoy seldom, but but it's valuable when you have that kind of a luxury to develop a shorthand where I would come up with shots and he would just make them better. Um, and you said lighting. Sometimes it's the lack of lighting because of the budget. Sometimes we just have to run and gun it. And um, for instance, in the in the police station, the jail scene, we had one day where we shot with lights, one day we shot without lights, and um, I you know I I can't tell the difference. I'd like the way they both looked. And obviously the lenses and the camera and the, this, the composition have a lot to do with it. But yeah, he's super talented and he's gonna be shooting my next uh, feature film, which is called Tat. He's gonna be my partner in crime on that film as well. Yeah, I think there's a really nice kind of a, a dreaminess to 645, which which lends itself to kind of immersing the audience hopefully into, into that world and, and to um, give it an air of mystery and, and mood and atmosphere, as you say. So I, I totally agree with
0: you. Another thing that he did, and you guys worked together on, obviously, was close-up, the medium to close-up shots. I thought the, the way that you went into the kind of the close-ups that were very important to kind of the story and what happens to to the to the people in the film. I thought that had a, it just had a nice rhythm to it. You guys were able to kind of find a, a good.
1: Yeah, Bob, Bobby's kind of inner struggle is paramount. So we really tried to get, get inside his his head. And, and again, without giving away too much because yeah. there is some twists and turns. And um, yeah, but thank you for noticing that we uh, spent a lot of attention uh, on the sound design and the music as well, which I'm extremely proud of the, the composition and um, was blessed with have, working with Costas Christidis on a number of films And he does big studio films. He was a protege of Hans Zimmer. There's a, a scene, a split screen scene, I don't know if you recall, but there's a composer named Ron Aniello, who's actually Bruce Springsteen's producing partner. And an incredible composer in his own right, he did that sequence and the source music from Hakeem Draper and David Lotwin is just inspired. And I think the music elevates this to another level, as does the sound design. Um, my designer Marshall Grupp has a company called Sound Lounge in New York City, and they've always been supportive of my work when I've had no budget and some budget and big budget. But uh, I mean, you take the sound design out of a film like Six Forty Five, and it's a very different experience, as I'm sure you'll agree.
0: Yes, absolutely. And also, you did something. So I also want to mention that the song at the end, closing credits, Energy. I thought that was a beautiful song, by the well, way.
1: It feels, when I first, first of all, we listened to 60 songs. So it's it's very tricky to find the right uh, relationship between music and visual. And I come from music videos, so that maybe that's helped me in, in terms of my experience. But when I heard that song by, uh, by her, uh, I had chills. And it was just, it was so... Haunting and and something that I still listen to it just because I love it so much.
0: It's a beautiful song. I do want to also sort of film technique wise, you did something I, I don't know if I've ever seen before, at least in the way that you did it. And that is about, I'll say about halfway. I may be wrong, sort of in the in the point of the film. You do a kind of visual recap for us where you where you go to different screens. We see like five, six, seven different screens pop up in the film, in the film frame. Yep. To kind of give us this kind of overview i don't know how you describe it
1: you, you know that's maybe some 70s sensibility because i feel like it's a device that some filmmakers use and, and i think that arguably some people think it's a bit art house i love it personally so i don't mind it whatsoever i think it it's not capricious it helps us get inside bobby's day yeah. and his head and the fact that he's dealing with this this purgatory this repetition so i think using those shots particularly the split screen section it's it's arguably my favorite part of the film. It kind of helps immerse deeper and deeper into kind of his psyche and I didn't want to do it just to do it. There's I think there's one other scene that incorporates some split yeah. screen, that long tracking shot. But um yeah, you know, you you use it sparingly and I think it can be uh, highly uh, effective.
0: I think you're right. It gives us kind of a a window into his into his world, into his sort of what's going on with him and his character. My congratulations on on this film 645. Again, I want to let people know they go to 645movie.com and that will launch you in the direction of knowing everything you would need to know. To... I, I
1: will say, uh, well, the thing, if, if in fact your your audience goes to 645, there's two trailers. There's the official trailer that most people have seen uh, online and at other genre sites. However, there's also kind of the director's cut trailer, which a lot of people don't know, but there's an old fashioned postcard. It looks like a winter wonderland scene. And if you click on that, there's a second trailer, which I think is going (laughs) to blow some people's minds. It's very unusual. It's very, very unorthodox. And it's absolutely uh, fantastic, in my
0: opinion. Well, Craig Singer, thank you. Thank you so much for 645. Thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us here on Film School Radio.
1: Thank you for having me and uh, best of luck to you.